2: Hello, this is Annie. Oh, and this is Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartMedia. Today, we are so excited, so excited, because it's time for another female first, which means we are joined by our good friend and coworker, Eves. Hi, Eves.
0: Hey, y'all. <laughs> Yay! Hi! How how are you doing, Eves? I'm doing well. You know, I have my ups and downs, as I imagine every y'all and everyone else are having right now. But um, I'm doing really well. I'm, like, really steeped in history, so I'm having to try to make sure that I stay really present in the moment since I'm doing so much history research. I'm like, is it 2020 <laughs> or is it 1919? Who knows? Because um, I'm not going <laughs> so outside So you have, like, much. a... You have an
2: exaggerated version of what everyone is experiencing, wherein we don't know the date or what day of the week it is. You're (laughs) like, is it
0: 1919? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah. I was like, I like, because I'm not, there's there's not that much interaction with the world around me. I'm like so steeped in history, it's just become a whole thing for me. That is such a specific,
2: like, history podcast researcher problem. I love it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are
2: coming to us from your home studios. Uh, as Samantha and I are, I'm coming from my closet. Uh, would you
0: describe your home studios for us? So um, the, the quote-unquote home studio that I'm in right now <laughs> is the the room that I usually uh, work from. So it's my study I have all my books in here. I'm typically in a closet when I'm recording this day in history class. Um, but this is obviously, this is a special occasion because I get to share the studio with you two today. So um, I needed a little bit more more room and comfort so I could actually um, move and not be in a dark space <laughs> with no light source besides my computer. <laughs> yeah. And what else is in here? Um, got a little art and... A desk, a yoga mat on the floor, and some like floor pillows. And it's pretty uh, It's pretty low-key. <laughs> a low-key studio, <laughs> if you want to call it a studio.
2: It looks nice. I mean, it's got a lot of natural light. Uh, I say as I'm like garishly lit by this Home Depot lamp. <laughs> And also, by the way, listeners, if you don't follow Eve's on Instagram, her Instagram is amazing and all this amazing yoga stuff. So, Sminty has been doing these yoga sessions. And we are not quite as professional as perhaps some would want. But, uh, yes, I always really appreciate your posts. And they're they're amazing. So, check that out. And I
0: appreciate what you're doing, too. Because it's like, to me, you know, any amount of yoga... That one can have more in their life. I'm all here for it. Yes.
2: Yes, it is. It's been really nice, actually. <laughs> yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, okay. So for today, I I absolutely loved your pick. Can you tell us the the woman you have have brought for us, Eve?
0: Yeah, so today we're gonna be talking about Jackie Arms. And she's one of those people who I got to touch on a little bit in this day in history class, but that's only so long, and I just really wanted to dig into her story. A little bit more because it truly is fascinating. Her story is one of those firsts that's like, as we always put our disclaimer on first, like firsts have a lot of social implications and like there are a lot of caveats to first. But in this case, it's one of those firsts where she was the first black American woman cartoonist to have her own syndicated comic strip. Um, It was read across the US, read widely, but it's still one of those industries where there aren't a lot of, Black women in it, and obviously the industry is very different now than it was when she was working in the 1900s. But who doesn't love, you know, cartoons? Oh yes i I really
2: enjoyed le- digging into her her art and the comics that she's done. I had I had like legitimately, it was like, oh, this is great! This is so good! Yeah, right? Yeah. Why don't we we get started into her her life and all of her accomplishments?
0: Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so she was born Zelda Maven Jackson in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, around 1911. Um, her father was William Winfield Jackson, and her mother was Mary Brown Jackson. So her father he had a theater in a printing business, and her mother was a seamstress. And she loved music and the arts, so that was a part of her life early on. She also had a sister named Dolores. And her father died in an accident when she was young, and that left her and her younger sister in the care of their mother and other family members. They lived with their grandmother while their mother worked as a live-in domestic worker. And so as a child, she moved with the family to Monongahela, which is in a suburb of Pittsburgh. Uh, She drew a lot from the time of her childhood. So not only did she have those arts influences around her when she was a child, she was already doing a lot of her own drawings. So she published her first cartoons in high school yearbooks around 1929 and 1930. So that was I think as a, you know, a lot of people start getting those experiences with art and with the careers that they want to go into early on in their high school years and that is that was the case with her. So she was working in her for her high school yearbook. And so while she was still a student at Monongahela High School, she inquired about working at the Pittsburgh Courier. So the Pittsburgh Courier was a black newspaper established in 1907. It was one of the first black newspapers to publish both local and national editions. So they assigned her to cover a boxing match and they sent kind of the chaperone with her. She did that. And then after she graduated high school, she moved to Pittsburgh and she began working as a proofreader at the Pittsburgh Courier. So kind of a natural transition from the work that she got with them in high school and then moving to work with them after she graduated high school. So she was working as a freelance reporter. She was covering police beats and court cases and human interest stories. But she was really interested in drawing. Like that was the thing that pulled to her, even though she was doing all of this reporting work she was really interested in drawing and so she married earl orms in the 1930s and they had a daughter together jacqueline but unfortunately she died of a brain tumor when she was very young but jackie she released her first cartoon in 1937 and that was torchy brown and dixie to harlem so this is the first cartoon that we see over the course of her life she has four so this is her first one. So it lasted for about a year, from May of 1937 to April of 1938, and that was published in the Pittsburgh Courier, which, as I said earlier, you know Pittsburgh Courier had different editions across the United States. So that helped her work as we go on throughout the, through the rest of her cartoons throughout the rest of her career. Um, that helps her get a national readership that comes along with her being in the Pittsburgh Courier. So the comic strip, it followed Tortue Brown, a black teen from a small town in Mississippi who moved to New York and had a numerous amount of escapades and along the way found fame at the Cotton Club, which was an actual popular nightclub in the 1920s and 1930s. And so even though Tortue Brown is kind of going on this very singular adventure because it's specific to her, there are also parts that mirror Jackie's Life herself, and then like all of the social things that were happening, whether that's related to you know music at the time or people who were in the music, in the art scene at the time. Um, those are people who feature in and inspire the comic. So at the Cotton Club, Torchy gets to meet all these people, like Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway, and she dances with Bill Bojangles Robinson from the beginning, like from the front, from the jump. Jackie's really clear about the characters that she likes to portray. And she has this strong Black female character that she puts in all of her comics. And that's the case with this one. So Torchy was super outspoken, attractive, and not subservient at all. And she wasn't a caricature as so many other depictions of Black people in general and Black women, specifically when that comes to you know caricatures like the mammy, and just all of the other derogatory stereotypes that people would place on images of Black girls and Black women in the media, Torchy was not that at all. She was super outspoken. She had a lot to say and a lot of meaningful things to say. And she wasn't a caricature at all. So that that comic just followed a lot of her adventures. But at the same time, it addressed a lot of social issues that were happening and that a lot of other people weren't talking about. And especially not black female artists or black female, specifically black female artists who were making cartoons. Um, It was addressing racism and the challenges that black people moving north faced. So there was a lot happening there, um, purposefully and just by matter of it being Jackie who was publishing the cartoons in the newspaper itself. Right, because I imagine. No, I know for sure it was
2: mostly white men another industry dominated by mostly white men,
0: mm-hmm. and still is, yes.
2: unfortunately, to some degree.
0: Yes, and um, white men, there were also white women who were working, and there were black men who were working and who were her contemporaries who were also producing cartoons that had messages that were related to racism and some of the, some of the same things that they, they we're talking about, not all of the same things, because later in life, you know Jackie gets into things like abuse against women and like you know some really some things that not nobody else was talking about in cartoons but there were other people but they didn't quite do it in the way that she did it in terms of like white women were drawing white women characters a lot of the time and um if it was a black man maybe he wasn't talking about the same issues that she was and her characters while other people may have relied on even if they were giving off social messages They might have relied on more specific characters to speak about these social messages, whereas Torchy, in this case, was a woman. She was very um, outspoken and she was very, like, subversive in the things that she was saying. And she was a a singular character who was very well-developed and had a lot of individual spirit. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 So as I said earlier, she had a huge readership across the United States and it lasted for about a year, but its original run, once that was done, there are around 53 strips of Torchy. So Jackie and Earl, there were some moves that happened here. They moved to Salem, Ohio for a couple of years and then they moved to Chicago. And this is, Chicago is basically where she spends the rest of her life. And as we know, Chicago is just, a huge place when it comes to the arts and cultural scene for black people. Um, They were on the South side of Chicago, which was also really big for that at the time for a lot of their life together. Um, So once she got to Chicago, she spent just like a short brief stint studying drawing in a nine degree program at the Art Institute of Chicago. And when she was there, she began working for the Chicago Defender, which was a black weekly Um, And she covered news there, but she wasn't there for long at all for reasons that remain not quite clear. But in 1945, they started publishing her single panel cartoon, Candy, that only ran for about four months. So Candy was a domestic worker who worked for a rich white woman. And so she like she was very subversive in a similar vein to Torchy and She, like I said, that didn't last that long, but that year, that same year, she was already back putting work in the Pittsburgh Courier, even though she was still living in Chicago. So this is the comic that's most prominent or that lasted for the longest. The thing that really got her a lot of the spotlight was Patty Joe and Ginger. Um, The Courier began publishing that comic, which was also a single panel cartoon. And I really love this one. Like there are just so many... If y'all get a chance to to look at Jackie Orms' work, uh, please go check out some of Patty, Joe, and Ginger because I just love the characters. Um, And they are so
1: stylish. I was like, wow, I want want all of their outfits. (laughs) Yes, totally agree. (laughs) Right. I was looking at the one with the paper dolls where she had the different sundresses and such. I was like, yeah, I'll... If I had a body that looked great, I would want that. That would that would be the if I actually got went out anymore, I would wear that for sure. Oh, you can dress up yeah. inside. And your body looks fantastic. Oh, thank like you. Well that let me rephrase that. Not that I meaning just I'm definitely quarantining well. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a wink <laughs> wink
2: statement. <laughs> you know what I mean? You when know, I you know.
0: <laughs> But yes, she was very, very stylish. Yes, so it was, uh, Patty Jo was the little girl and Ginger was the older sister. So they were separated by like 20 years or so. Like Ginger was 20 uh, something and Patty Joe was like a five-year-old. And Ginger, the older sister, never spoke. She. This is another reason I love her. Not only were her clothes amazing, she just like had all the best facial expressions, back uh-huh. to whatever Patty Joe would say, because Patty Joe had all the wisecracks. So you know, both of them kind of fed off of each other in that dynamic. And what was interesting about that is that, like you mentioned earlier, Annie, or asking about other people, who are saying you know other people weren't necessarily making these kind of cartoons and giving these social messages, they definitely weren't being spoken through a child that was the age of Patty Joe. So it kind of gave Jackie a different end in, into saying what she wanted to say and saying it very clearly. Like she didn't mince any words in, in the <laughs> cartoons at all. Like if this is about McCarthyism, you can tell us about McCarthyism or if this is about housing, equality issues then you're going to be able to tell that from the cartoon. There was no, like, it wasn't really a subtext or undertones. It was, like, heavy overtone, um, but coming through (laughs) the mouth of a little girl. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so she, like I said, she commented on so many things, and McCarthyism was one of them. She touched on the Emmett Till case. She touched on the Korean War. She touched on the Cold War. She touched on nuclear weapons. Just a range of different things in the comics. So I wanted to just give word for word a couple of the panels that she created. So there was one yes. in 1955, and <laughs> yay! And in it, Patty Joe says, "I don't want to seem touchy on the subject, but that new little white tea kettle just whistled at me." So, <laughs> um, <laughs> meanwhile, Ginger is just like looking at her, and Patty Joe's being all. Precocious as she does. And obviously, there are all these uh implications that come with what Patty Joe was talking about, the history of like black men and white women, and like all of the things that got black men lynched um, when it came to interactions with white people. And so for Patty Joe and Jackie Orms herself to put that in a comic, and for Patty Joe to be commenting on this and framing it from a perspective where it's like a little girl is saying this and she's talking about a tea kettle but we all know what she's talking about it's not really hidden it's not a hidden message at all mm-hmm. is very in- indicative of the kind of work that orms did like that was pretty much how the rest of her comics went so there is another one where patty joe refers to a letter that she wrote and she said it's a letter to my congressman i want to get it straight from washington just which is the American way of life, New York or Georgia? And as we are in Georgia, obviously <laughs> relate to that one hard. And Georgia's also heavy in the news right now, too. Um, mm-hmm. so
3: <laughs> Yeah, those
0: are <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. Um, probably not the spotlight we want it, but
2: no. I would say definitely not. (laughs) We have some more for you listeners, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend,
1: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So Patty, Joe, and Ginger ran for... A really long time. Uh, it ran for 11 years from 45, 1945 to 1956 for over 500 cartoons. So it did really well. It was read by a lot of people yes. and it appeared in other newspapers. And it even had a doll based on it. So in 1947, the Terry Lee Doll Company created a doll based on Patty Joe. The doll was originally produced by the company until 1949. She had a bunch of like accessories and dresses. She had a huge wardrobe, the doll did. And it just defied stereotypical images of Black girls that like, counter to other dolls. And as we spoke about earlier, media representations of her. Um, she looked just as mischievous, the doll of Patty Joe did, as she was actually in the cartoons. But even though the doll wasn't produced that long, you know, it did have some popularity. And it's like worth a lot now. Like those dolls are worth a ton. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, they were and their outfits were nice too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all the while she was creating all these cartoons, she was doing everything herself. So there wasn't a division of a story staff and drawers and inkers. She was doing everything, you know. And that ended up, you know, that had an effect on her physical health later in life. Um, as she did get rheumatoid arthritis, which affected how she was able to do her work, but she worked a ton and she had that same fire for creating characters like Torchy and characters like Candy and characters like Patty Joe and Ginger, even though Ginger was silent, she was also a very important character in it as the older sister mm-hmm. of Patty Joe. She ended up bringing Torchy back in 1950 at the request of a syndicate. And that was called Torchy and Heartbeats. And it ran for four years. And while that was more so about relationships, you know, it was about love this time, it was also in color rather than in black and white. Um, There were a few like content issues in the beginning because they got a guy named John Messman to write the dialogue. Obviously, Jackie was not happy with that kind of arrangement. And there's a quote where she says she never liked dreamy little women who can't hold their own. So she eventually ended up getting creative control over the strip again. And that one, just like the other one, still had political messages in it. So it had, it talked about things like violence against women, public health, environmental issues, like environmental racism, and Big, big ideas and big messages in it, just like the rest of her work did. Um, and there were people who spoke on enjoying how much they enjoyed Torchy and enjoyed Jackie Orms' comics, like Langston Hughes professed to be a fan of the Torchy comic. And as we'll talk about a little later, Jackie was, she rubbed, what is it, rubbed elbows or shoulders? Rubbed elbows. <laughs> I can't think of the idiom right well,
2: now. Well, now it's probably quarantine times, probably rubbing elbows. I think it originally was rubbing <laughs> shoulders. but
0: <laughs> You're right. I didn't Maybe even it think, is. Yeah, that's a bad idiom in quarantine times. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to reinvent a lot of things, including some phrases. <laughs> true, true. But the, the point that I was trying to make there without an inappropriate idiom for this time, is that she later, um, we'll get to how she did meet with a lot of people who were also in arts, like in Chicago, just because of the circles that she ran in and the kind of prestige that her husband had because he managed a really nice hotel in Chicago. But yeah, she, she also, like I said, a lot of her comics were inspired by the times and by like jazz singers and the arts and culture of the time. And she herself was a very fashionable person in real life, Jackie Arms was, and did a lot of things with that as well. But anyway, she also made paper dolls, which was kind of a tradition, I guess you could say at the time, to go along with comics. And hers were called Torchy Togs. Um, and those are just little paper dolls that were as cute and stylish and, you know, just in that went along with the Torchy comic. And yeah, so that's what she did for a lot of her life. She worked on several comic strips and she did a lot of reporting, but she also did things in Chicago. So that, that had nothing to do with her comic strips. Like She put on fashion shows and she had fundraisers and she went to community events, um, like appearing at Career Day. And she was known in Chicago for her participation in anti-racist and humanitarian organizations and movements. And knowing that the times were that what they were, and we're talking about the 1940s and the 1950s, she sometimes worked with members of the Communist Party. So as we often get to in these stories, we love the ever so ubiquitous FBI file. There was one on Jackson yes. that ran for around 10 years. <laughs> we love a good FBI file.
1: I just love every time we talk yes. about a strong... Yeah, a strong black woman. We're obviously going to call, talk about yes. the FBI being suspicious and putting up, f- like, following them and tagging them somehow.
0: Yeah, it's sure to happen, sure to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was the case with Jackie. Um, agents interrogated her um, from time to time and they reported about those interrogations. They linked her to the Southside Community Arts Center, the Artists Guild, the Cultural Club, and the Du Bois Theater Guild. Um, and here's an excerpt from what one agent wrote in her file. So here's what they say it. As a result of the interview, it was apparent in interviewing agents that the subject is not very well informed or intelligent, but rather a pseudo intellectual type person, flighty in temperament and not inclined throughout the interview to seriously consider what the agents were attempting to clarify. Oh, that's so, outrageous. It is, and we have to imagine that that was their impression of her, but that was a purposeful uh, communication of character on Jackie Orms' part. Right,
1: so I can just imagine her being there, giving the face of, you're stupid, I'm not (laughs) answering these questions, and because they're so frustrated, and they don't want to say they're outsmarted by a black woman, they're like, oh, she's flighty. She definitely didn't understand what we were asking her. Right,
0: that's got to be it. right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, personal biases were definitely involved in this situation. She said in later interrogations that she wasn't a member of the Communist Party per se, but she did align with the party because it offered, quote, humanistic, social, and economic advantages to Black people. So she did over time, I wouldn't even use the phrase open up really because she didn't really give the FBI agents much, but she did, you know, say that make clear, you know, what her motivations were in speaking with the people that she did because she was so active in different groups and organizations. So she um her career as a cartoonist, it kind of ended in the mid-1950s because a lot of things were changing that were outside of her control, even though she continued to create art. There were a lot of black newspapers that were shifting focus because the civil rights movement was cropping up in just getting huger at the time. And a lot of those Black newspapers were cutting those comic sections to make room for coverage of the civil rights movement. So that kind of fell by the wayside, which meant that, you know, there wasn't really much room for Jackie's work anymore. So she did start, you know, in fine art and painting, um, but her rheumatoid arthritis did affect that work as well. So she stopped that. At the same time, her husband was still managing the hotel that I alluded to earlier, which was the Sutherland Hotel in Chicago. And that was a thing that put her in touch with a lot of performers, a lot of writers, and a lot of artists. And they formed friendships with people like the singers Lena Horne and Sarah Vaughan. And she sometimes even asked them to perform in her fundraising shows, And yeah, so she was an active community member as well, doing a lot of things in her community that contributed to social messages in the real world, even beyond, you know, all of the characters that were in her comic strips. So she was kind of a person who talked the talk through her comic strips, but also walked the walk. Yeah, for sure. We have a
2: little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand.
0: So here's where we arrive at the end of Jackie Orms's life. Even though she has such a long and prolific career when it came to her art and her comics, she died in December of 1985. And there was an article in the Chicago Tribune where Jackie's sister said, Jackie's philosophy of life was that you don't wait for someone to encourage you to do things. If you want to do it, then do it she was that way since she was little in doing sculpting, painting, writing, drawing, whatever. So even her sister attests to just how deeply she was immersed in her arts. And in 2018, she was inducted into the Will Eisner Comics Hall of Fame. Um, And just as we spoke about earlier, just circling back around to this after speaking about her work, is that the industry was still pretty much off limits to Black women, Um, And from 1989 to 2005, there was like one nationally syndicated Black woman newspaper cartoonist who was Barbara Brandon Croft. So it was definitely an area where the wheels were turning slowly. And even though Jackie at the time didn't get a lot of shine, even though her comics were decently read, she still didn't get a ton of recognition. And over the years, people have mentioned how they've been inspired by her work. People like Barbara Brandon Croft have talked about how their work was influenced by Jackie Orms' work and just the recognition that she deserves now that we do have more information on her or that she has come back into the public light. It still wasn't a field where a lot of Black women were working in, even though there were white women and Black men working in the field. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, and it's, again, this is one of those things where I'm so thrilled you brought this to, to our attention because I had never heard of her, but I'm also angry that it took this long because I loved it. Like, I really was reading her work and just loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think in something like comics, comic strips, it's easy to dismiss them as sort of frivolous or, or you know, not that uh, serious, because that's kind of inherent in their nature. But she was making powerful statements right. in her work. And we can still see that continue to this day when it, you think of something like political cartoons, but we definitely shouldn't dismiss
0: the power of what she was doing. Right, it's just like, having being able to read these comics in a newspaper even though it's in a lighthearted format messages that are actually serious but also you get to laugh at um in context yeah. of the things actually happening and also seeing and knowing that it is a black woman who's creating them it provides some sort of you know realness and also lightness within the dark you know and also calling out what that darkness is and Uh, I just, I really appreciate, you know, knowing about her work now, because even though that was created for that context that are there, I think a lot of us can agree that there are a lot of things that are still the same, even if they are operating in a different way or lane that Jackie Orms was talking about in her comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think um, it is
2: palatable to present it in that way, to present things that perhaps people don't want to think about or talk about to put it in something that is maybe on the surface lighthearted or is funny, but also very serious. So I know for me during all of this, uh, dramas that we shall we say we're going through, it's easiest for me to consume the news through comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just see so much value in, in things like this and in the, That I think as a power to facilitate conversations in a way that a lot of other things can't. Right. I agree. I meant to ask is anybody here an artist? I have so much respect. Like I cannot draw at all. And when I see
0: people that can, I just so much respect. Drawing is not my strong suit at all.
1: Right. (laughs) Me either. Um, actually, I'm really bad at it. I think Annie, you and I practiced a little bit when we played the house party game. yeah <laughs> and it's 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 bad.
2: <laughs> yeah what did I draw? And it was just like
1: uh, uh an oval and I was like this kept just, pull, just I did the same thing I just kept doing circles and they're like what the hell this is like that I'm like, at it. obviously it's snowman or something <laughs> obviously it's a church I mean, I mean clearly <laughs> I do draw a
2: lot though for um, Dungeons and Dragons I actually do draw quite a bit
1: yeah a child but you two are wordsmiths so that, that's that art right there aww <laughs> thank you
2: I'll send. I'll send my fan fiction over to you post haste. Please do. <laughs> you, know, you would hate it. It would make you cry.
1: <laughs> and Aves, if you have any uh, fan fiction, I would also love yours as well.
0: Let's just all share our fan fiction. I don't. I don't have fan fiction, unfortunately. I never. I never got into fan writing fan fiction. So always <laughs> get a new skill. You know, a new quarantine <laughs> hobby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll put fan fiction on the list. I'll think about putting fan fiction on on the list. I like this. You'll think about adding (laughs) it to the list. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. (laughs) That was my version of commitment slash (laughs) non-commitment. Well, moving away
2: reluctantly from fan fiction... Thank you so much, <laughs> as always, for joining us. Such a pleasure. Can yes. you uh, let
0: the listeners know where they can find you, Eves? Yeah, so you can find me on the Sand History class, which is another podcast that I host, which is about events and birthdays that happened in history. Um, and you can find me on social media. I'm at Eves Jeff Code. Um, You can also find me at TDIHC podcast for the Sand History class. And that's about it. Yes. Yes,
2: definitely go check all that stuff out all awesome. And if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.